Good morning again. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. We're back in our study of Ephesians. It's been a few weeks. I would also ask that you would stand with me. We will pray. And we're just going to get right on into it. Let's stand and let's ask God's favor. Father, show us Christ in the preaching of your word. We pray, Lord God, today as your word goes forth, as you say through the prophet Jeremiah, your word is like a hammer. Father, we probably need to hear, we do, because you have determined that we need to hear this today, Lord God. And we thank you, Lord God, that your hammer is not one that is ever designed to destroy, but to draw near. That you tell us through the prophet Hosea that you draw us with cords of love. And so through the, Lord, as odd as it sounds, through the hammer of your word, Draw us near in love. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Please don't get scared by that prayer. This is what God says to us today in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 to 21. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But... Sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, which is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Instead, expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in the Lord with your heart giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's the word of the Lord. May he add his blessing to it. You may be seated. Just by way of a reminder, we've used this outline, and if you go back a couple weeks, I, I did modify it a little bit, but this is the outline that we're going to use for the book of Ephesians chapter 5. There's three therefores in the chapter, and that's how I broke it up. Therefore, be imitators of God, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, do not become partakers with them, 3 to 16. Therefore, do not be foolish, 17 to 21. And as we saw us last time we met, that we are to be imitators of God. We are to be imitators of God. Therefore, be imitators of God. As it says in verses 1 and 2, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. 
An imitator, by definition, means that you do not do certain things. You do not act differently than the person you are trying to imitate. You mimic them. You mimic what they do. And Paul, in the rest of the chapter, tells the church at Ephesus and tells us today the things that we are not to do if we are to be an imitator of God. And he uses the word but. But is a word that can be used in many ways. Perhaps our favorite way of using the word but is as an excuse or as in a defense, right? Yeah, well, I'm sorry, but. Oh, yeah, you think but, right? And we use it as a defense or as an excuse. It can also be used to juxtapose one thing from another. This is how Paul uses it in chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, where he juxtaposes our natural self, which is dead in our trespasses, and, under the, and we are under the wrath of God, but how God has made us alive in Christ Jesus. Look what it says in Ephesians 2, 4 and 5. But God. But God. What great word. But Being angry and wrathful towards us. No. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses. Even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. We could just go home right now and just ponder that. In our text for today, verse beginning in verse 3, and quite frankly, we're not going to get very far today. But is used as a word of warning. He uses it as a word of of warning. He warns the church, and he would warn us today. He warns the church at Ephesus to not be like the people of Ephesus. Ephesus, in that day, history records for us. This is factual. We're not making it up. We have historical records to prove it, because the most accurate historical book you have is where? Found in the library? No, it's found in the Bible. It's right here. The most accurate history book ever is the Bible. Most accurate book ever not even history books, of all books written, it is the most accurate, it is the most truthful, it is the most trustworthy. Ephesus was a den of debauchery and licentiousness. Ephesus was the home to Diana, the goddess of fertility. And her temple, also called the Temple of Artemis, was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. There was temple prostitution, and rampant sexual immorality was part of their everyday worship. Their culture was steeped in sexuality. Does that sound like America today? Paul writes to them and tells them, because he does not want them ever, as the church in Rome may have done, come to the conclusion that we may sin, that grace may abound. He wants them to be so enamored with God's great love for them that they never want to push the boundaries. They never want to see how close to the edge they can get. Don't we play that with God? How close can I get to maybe not sinning? As soon as we say that, we've already crossed the line. We've already done it. Paul has reminded them of God's great plan of salvation from the foundation of the world. He's reminded them that they have every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus in the heavenly realm. And by the way, when I say reminds them, reminds us. Just put it in your mind. Reminds us. Reminds them, reminds us that we were once dead in our sins and trespasses, but God has made us alive in Christ Jesus for good works. He reminds them and he reminds us that we were once Christless, stateless, friendless, hopeless, and godless. 
or that God has taken away all hostility between himself and his adopted children. He reminds us that we are to be united with each other so that we can reach maturity in Christ. He reminds us that we are renewed in our minds and to put off the old self with all its practices and put on the new self created in Christ Jesus. Reminds us that we are to imitate God in love. And that as we do these things, we are not to allow the pervasive carnality of our culture to gain an anchoring point in our lives. Because it is contrary to being an imitator of God. Therefore, Paul uses the word but. The Holy Spirit uses the word but as a word of warning here. Look at what it says. Verse 3. But. Let me go back to verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God and beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But. But. Sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be named among you as is proper among the saints. The word for sexual morality is the word pornea. It's from the word, it's from where we get our word pornography. And it covers sexual sins done in the mind and the body. The definition is this, sexual morality is pornea, sexual sin of a general kind that includes many different behaviors. Remember that Jesus told us that we can commit adultery, that we can be sexually immoral. In our heart, we can physically never do anything sexually, but we can be sexually immoral. We can be an adulterer. Jesus tells us this in Matthew 15, 19, for out of the heart come what? Evil thoughts, murder, idolatry, adultery, sexual morality, theft, false witness, slander. And quite frankly, the list is a lot longer than that. Sexual immorality is never alone. It is always accompanied by impurity and covetousness. Look at what it says again in verse 3. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. The word impurity is akathisia. It means immorality or sexual impurity. How does one become impure? By rejecting God. By suppressing the truth of God. By seeing creation and seeing that there is a God who created this world. There has to be at best an intelligent designer. And failing to go and see who that intelligent designer is. His name is Jesus Christ, by the way. Suppressing that truth. Because we realize that if there is a creator in the world, then by nature I must be under his lordship. And I refuse to be under his lordship. I'm the master of my own fate. I I captain my own ship. The person who has that attitude, the Bible tells us this in Romans 1.24. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to what? Impurity. To the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. An impure person a person who has rejected God. He also says is covetousness, plexonia, greed, or avarice. These are things that we are to put to death. Colossians 3, 5 says, put to death, therefore. How radical are we supposed to be? Put to death, therefore. What is earthly in you? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now, we might think that Paul all of a sudden goes from sins of a sexual nature to idolatry to worshiping of a statue. No, he's not. 
Covetousness here is not separate from, separate from sexual morality and impurity because it is sexual covetousness. It is a desire to have and to use someone else's body for my personal sexual pleasure. It's called idolatry because it's the worship of sexual pleasure. You know, God in his wisdom in the 10th commandment forbid this. He says, do not covet your neighbor's wife. God says this kind of sexual immorality must not be even named among God's people. Look again what it says in verse 3. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Be named onazomai uh, means to mention or to speak about. Let's be clear. Paul is not saying you don't call sin, sin. Because Paul called them out by name right here. What he is saying is that sexual immorality and impurity, things of a sexual nature, should not be the subject of our conversations as believers. To act and talk in a sexually immoral and impure way dishonors God and his intended purpose for sexual union, namely that of procreation and enjoyment between a man and a woman. It is an act of adultery, adultery, to talk in such a way, actually. God's people are not to behave in such a way or even talk about such things. It is not proper or fitting to talk about such things in open conversation among God's people. That is to talk about them in a crude and a degrading way. Does not mean we don't call out sin. We don't call out the evil of the world today, of a culture that is steeped in sexual immorality and who has chanted that we are coming for your children. And loved ones, they're winning. They're winning. They're winning. Our children, we hand them over to the public schools. We hand them over to a cell phone. We hand them over to TikTok, to Snapchat. Instagram, and there's no accountability. The things that they see, the things they look, the things that we can look at, it's not just our kids, this is a sin for everybody. Not that we don't call them out. We don't make them a subject of our conversations. It's not proper. It says, but sexual morality and all impurity covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Proper, prepo, means to be fitting. And what Paul is doing here, he is furthering, he is further clarifying the admonition of 429, which says this, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only as such is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give Grace to those who hear it. Our conversations should be for the purpose of giving grace and building one another up in the most holy faith. How often our conversations are pointless and useless. Oh, God forgive us. Paul goes on to further state that they should not only not converse in a sexually immoral, impure, and covetous way, but they are also not to let filthiness, foolish talk, or crude joking take place. We, as God's adopted children, as God's treasured possession, right? The, the title for the series has been, we're in part six now, is living as God's treasured possession. Think about that. God says you, if you're in Christ Jesus, are his treasured possession. God needs nothing, but yet he treasures his children. We're not to let these three things become commonplace for us as God's treasured possession. Verse 4, let there, let there be no filthiness, 
nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving, filthiness, obscenity, indecent behavior. R. Kent Hughes in his commentary rightly states, one thing is sure, filthy speech means a filthy heart. We must never rationalize this truth. You see someone who has filthy speech, immoral speech, crude speech. You can be sure that is exactly what their heart is. Remember what Jesus said, for out of the heart come what? Sexual immorality, murder, idolatry, things, all of these. You want to know what's in a person? Listen to their speech. We as believers are not only to avoid filthiness, which is talking about sexual things in a filthy way. There is a pure way to talk about sex. God talks about it in his, in his book. There's a whole book dedicated to it. It's called the Song of Solomon. You can talk about it in a right way, in the right context, but we can talk about it in a way that is filthy and disgusting. That's how the world talks about it. I mean, the world, actually, if we're going to be honest, the new Speaker of the House, in an interview, said that he has software on all his computers so he doesn't fall into pornography, and they make fun of him. What's wrong with you? It's weird. We live in such a perverse culture that they think that maintaining purity is perverse. Truly, we live in a day and an age in which evil is called good and good is called evil. We must not engage in these things, loved ones. We're to avoid filthiness, and that includes what we watch, what we listen to. We're also to avoid foolish talk. Foolish talk. Morologia. Talk which is both foolish and stupid. This is from two Greek words, by the way. Moros, from which we get our word moron. And from logos, from which we get our word word or talk. It is talk that has absolutely no value. The late James Boyce writes this in his commentary. The word refers to one who makes light of high standards or behaviors, thinking that it's somehow funny or sophisticated to tear down anything that is high or praiseworthy or nobly. Thinking that it is somehow funny or sophisticated to tear down anything that is high or praiseworthy or nobly. It is what television does. Television pretends to be funny, but it is destructive of those values that hold the society together and suppress its worst elements. James Montgomery Boyce was right. We read in Scripture many times that as believers, we are to avoid foolish arguments. Paul, writing to Timothy and to Titus, and I understand he's writing to pastors specifically here in the text, but it also expands to us. In 2 Timothy 2.23, he says, have nothing to do, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. How many times do we get into a subject and we get into something and, and we want to defend, it's just a pointless argument, even about theological things. Just walk away. Shut, just, who cares? Walk away. Do not engage in foolish talk. Do not engage somebody who does say something just to, just to you know, stir up the hornet's nest, as it were. Don't fall for it. Don't get into it. Titus 3.9 says this, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law. For they are what? Unprofitable and worthless. 
you can have an unprofitable and worthless theological discussion. We're not to have anything to do with filthiness, with foolish arguments, or crude joking. Vulgar, indecent speech, sarcastic speech meant to get a rise out of someone. And clearly within Ephesians here, the context it focuses the meaning on the vulgar and indecent speech. We should not engage as God's children in vulgar, indecent speech. Vulgar and indecent is speech that is sexually immoral in nature. But we must stop on sarcasm for just a minute, shouldn't we? Perhaps you've seen the shirt. I thought about buying it for myself one time. It says sarcasm, one of my many gifts. And I'm the chief of being sarcastic. I know that. But I can tell you that among the elders and us meeting and praying and asking God to purify us, that among your elders, and I don't say this in a way, pray for us. We have been convicted about our sarcasm. Even when it's good, clean, you know, just not harmful, just joking that it doesn't please God. It doesn't build up. It doesn't help. Let's speak in a way that builds up, that encourages and strengthens one another. Don't we have enough when we go to work, when we're here, we go to school and you commute and you turn on the television? Don't you have enough even times in your own family? And shouldn't you be able to come to church and not have that garbage? Shouldn't this be the safe place? These six things, sexual morality, impurity, covetousness, filthiness, foolish talk, and crude joking, must not even be named among God's people. God's people must not be known for the looseness of their talk with sexuality. What God's people should be known for is thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. Look again in context. We always have to read things in context. There's never verses that stand alone. Verses 3 and 4 again. But sexual morality and all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Eucharista. You know that word Eucharist if you went to the Catholic Church? Thanksgiving is the cup of thanksgiving. It means thanksgiving, thankfulness, or gratitude. Thanksgiving should be commonplace among God's people. We're to give thanks in how many circumstances? All circumstances, the good and the bad. We can give thanks because we know that God really loves us. And because God is good. The core of his nature, God is good. What comes into our lives is not because God is tight-fisted or mean-spirited. We give thanks because what God allows, we know that God will use to shape us and bless us. Oh, may I get that into my heart, into my mind. That what God allows into our lives, even the painful things, even the things we've done ourselves, he teaches us, he will use it to shape us and bless us if we let him. In our text for today, the thanksgiving should be specifically about how we speak about God's incredible gift of sex. That it is a blessing from God for a married man and woman. Society will tell you that's not true. It is to be celebrated 
and not spoken of in a vulgar way. A person who consistently walks, their mind is dominated by, their eyes are dominated by, their heart is dominated by, their body is dominated by, who walks in a sexually immoral or impurity or idolatrous way will have no hope of heaven, Scripture tells us. You will not go to heaven. You will go to hell. That's what Scripture tells us. This is what God says. Please, this is what God says. We're told this truth over and over in Scripture. Ephesians 5.5 says this, For you may be sure of this. In other words, if you're going to go down to uh, go down to the casino, the betting place, place a bet with a bookie, and you need something to be sure of, you can be sure of this. Everyone who is sexually immoral, remember that could be in your mind also, or impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater. In other words, these things define you. Not that you happen to fall into them once in a while. We stumble and fall in many ways. But if we consistently live in such a way that we are sexually immoral, we're impure, you can be sure of this, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Well, Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, and you want to talk about, a, you know, let's not, they were screwed up sexually. They were a messed up church. Let's not pat ourselves on the back. Well, at least I'm not like the Corinthians, because then we're just like the Pharisees saying, I thank you, God, I'm not like. He says this in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 10. Or do you not know? In other words, he's saying, don't you know this? How could you not understand this? How did this escape your mind? How did you not come to this conclusion? It's obvious from reading God's word. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. God means what he says. And God follows through on what he says. God is loving. And it's because of God's love for us. And because of the severity of the punishment for sexual immorality, impurity, idolatry, filthiness, crude joking, all of those things, God in his kindness warns us, warns us. It is a blessing from God to be warned. It is the love of God to warn you, to warn me. He warns us to flee, flee from this. 1 Corinthians 6, 18, flee from sexual morality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. The word flee is fuego. It means to become a fugitive. You know what a fugitive does? You see in the movie Fugitive, right? Wants to get away, doesn't want to get to, does everything to not get caught. We are to become a fugitive, the scriptures tells us, to sexual immorality. And by the way, the scripture tells us also to flee false teaching. Flee false teaching. So abhorrent is sexual immorality to the Lord that God tells us that if you call yourself a brother or sister, if you say that I am God's child and you are sexually immoral, you are, you, 
you're just a sexually immoral person, Scripture says we should not even eat with you. We should have no fellowship with you. Listen to what God says in 1 Corinthians 5.11. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler. Not to even eat with such a one. You think God cares about his name? And who says, I am his? Doesn't mean that if we've messed up, that if we've fallen, that God says, no, you can never eat with that person again. That's not what this is. This is a, a consistent pattern of an unwilling to change from, of thinking that God is okay with it. God is not okay, and God does not understand. We flee these things not just because of the severity of the punishment, but we should also because we should also flee because we say, God, I love you so much. If we call ourselves a child of God, we realize that we no longer own our bodies. And because we are God's child, we should therefore seek to honor God with our bodies. Again, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit with whom you have been? You have, this holy, is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. So glorify God in your body. Paul warns us. God warns us. To not be deceived by empty words about this. He says because it is because of these things that the wrath of God is coming upon the ungodly. Verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Deceive. Apatao. To mislead or to deceive what? With empty. Kinos. Without anything, empty-handed, foolish, or stupid. Loved ones, God is uncompromising in these matters. He does not allow for any wiggle room. He means what he says, and he will follow through on what he says. And so he tells us in verse 7, Therefore do not become partners with them. With what? The sexually immoral, the impure, all of these things, the covetousness, the filthiness, the crude joking, all that goes, do not become partners with them. Partners. Symbiotikosos, right? We get the word symbiosis, right? We're coming together, becoming one, joint owner, sharer, or partaking with. These are things that we must rid ourselves of. They must not be named among us. We must not talk about these things in a way that dishonors God, that would dishonor our marriage, would dishonor our sons or our daughters. We need to actively seek sanctification. Ian Hamilton so puts it together here. He says, holiness is not a condition the believer simply drifts into. You don't just drift into it. I don't know if you know anything, if you watch Motor Trend or anything, a drifting of a car, you just kind of slide into it. Nope. The Christian life, the life that pleases God involves What are we to do as God's beloved children? We must do what God commands us to do in the strength in which he so freely gives and so greatly supplies to us. As he told us in, in chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to what? Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. In 5.1, he tells us, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. 
Jesus tells us the reason that he came was so that we would renounce what is unpleasing to him. You know, one way in which we can battle against sexual morality, letting it creep up into our life, letting it be dominating our conversations and our minds is to set our hope to think about that Jesus Christ is coming back. That Jesus promised that he will deliver you and me if we are his children. He will take us out of this kingdom of darkness and he will bring us into an eternal home in which there will be no sexual immorality. There will be no filthiness. There will be no impurity. There will be no joking, crude joking. There will be none of that. What we think about matters as children. One of the things we can do is to think about all that we have in Christ Jesus. Listen to what Paul wrote to Titus in Titus 2, 11 to 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce. Training. Some of you have been in the military. In all your training, you didn't do it perfectly, right? You had to redo it. You've been trained on a machine at your job. You've been trained in a new computer program. You haven't done it perfectly. It's training. It's not perfection. It's striving for perfection, but we're training. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Waiting. What are we waiting for? Am I waiting for my next paycheck? Yes, actually I am. Am I waiting for... You know what I mean. You know what God means. What are you waiting for? What are you really looking forward to? Waiting for our blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, what? To redeem us from all lawlessness and to what? Purify for himself a people for his own possessions who are what? Zealous for good works. What did God save you for? He saved you for good works, it says. God is with us. And God is for us. And we are to work to be holy. But thanks be to God, being holy is not solely dependent on my desire to be holy. That's the starting point. But it's God working in me. God working in you. Look at what it says in Philippians 2, 12 to 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not So now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation for fear and trembling. Why? For it is God who what? Works in you both to what? Will, desire, and to work for his good pleasure. What can we do right now to not be deceived in these truths? Because the world wants to deceive you. Don't be deceived with empty words. God understands. God knows we really love each other. Because love is love. Let's be clear. God does not understand. He does not acquiesce to us. He doesn't validate what we want. We are to validate what he wants. We are to go to what he desires. We are to love God in such a way that when he gives us the desires of our heart, because we'll go to the verse, but he's just giving me the desires of my heart. My desire of my heart is this. Oh, I just want to. That's not God's desire for your heart. God's desire for your heart is to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and to love your neighbors, yourself. Can we just start there? Both to will and to work 
holiness is not something you slide into. The Christian life takes effort. What can we do right now to not be deceived by the world in this, by empty words of which the world will give us? If you are a married couple, there are three things in which Scripture says that you can do to help each other not be sexually immoral, impure, covetous, filthy, crude, all of these things. First is love God, right? Love each other. And couples, write down this verse, read it and study it. Obey the command of 1 Corinthians 7, 3 to 5. If you're a young person here today, commit yourself to purity. Ask God to help you to be holy. It's one thing to commit myself. It's another thing to ask God to help. Be wise in the company that you keep. Bad company corrupts good spirits, Scripture tells us. Do not align yourself with the ideology of this world. Do not say, well, you know, everybody's doing it, so, and you know what? Can't God understand? I mean, they really love each other. And it's okay that, you know, no, God said right from the beginning, he created them male and female for the purpose of marriage. Don't compromise on that. It may cost you in this world. Whatever you lose in this world will be given multitude folds over in heaven for you. And that's also not a reason to do it. If you are single here today, do the same things. I would say to you that make loving God your highest priority. Yes, you may long for a spouse. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with it. But it is wrong to desire a spouse greater than you desire to love Jesus Christ. That is wrong. That is priorities out of whack. Ask God, as we all should do, to help you align your heart with that of his so that your desires, his desires become your desires. And also, if you're single here today, know that right now your singleness is a gift from God. Whether it's singleness for a season or for a lifetime, I don't know what God has for you. But as a single person, you have freedoms that married people do not have. Scripture tells us this. And while you have that gift from God, utilize it to grow in holiness. Utilize it. And, and, and embrace it to help the church grow. For all of us, we must commit ourselves to prayer, to study, and fellowship. We must commit ourselves to being open and honest with one another, with the right, not everybody. You understand, being, uh, the catchphrase at the end is being authentic. Well, be authentic. you're here today and you are struggling with sexual immorality perhaps you've been unfaithful to your spouse perhaps you're in an emotional affair with somebody at work or perhaps you're bound by pornography why am I saying this well statistically speaking in a room this size Somebody, maybe multiple, fall into one of these categories. What can you do? First of all, confess it to God. He already knows. And if you need help, if you know you're bound in something and it's crushing you and you can't seem to stop, please, please come see me. Come see one of the other elders. We will do everything we can. We'll use every resource the church has to help you get freedom in this 
to walk the journey with you, as painful as it may be, so that you find freedom and purity in Christ Jesus. If you're here today, and you're feeling the guilt of your past, and if you have truly repented and turned from it, remember this. Remember what God says. We're in Corinthians where he listed out all the sins, the sexual sins, all the things that he done. And then God says this about his child who's truly repented and turned. He says, and such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified in the blood of Jesus Christ. Glory to God. Amen. Amen. Come on. Let's not let this culture take us over. God is too holy, God is too good, and I have failed him, and so have you. And let's no longer do it to the glory of Jesus Christ. We live in a perverse and crooked generation, and God says, stand up and be a light. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let me, one thing we can do. Commit to memory, church. Please, hold me accountable to this. Commit to memory, Colossians 3, 1 to 17. Commit it to memory. Put that in your heart. And let's be the people that God has called to be. It's no longer, I can't play games anymore. Neither can you. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I don't know. That was you, Lord. Help us. Forgive us. Purify us. That we would be a people pleasing to you. As we live in this perverse generation. Lord, save our children. Save us. For the glory of God, we ask it. Amen and amen. Let's close in a song. I invite you all to stand. Let's praise our God with doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. God bless you all.